Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Highland Park Baptist Church. The preaching and teaching ministry of Highland Park is led by our pastor, Dr. Jeremy Wallace. Our desire is to help you grow in your faith so that you can better glorify God, make disciples, and love others. To learn more, visit us at hpbc.church. Now, here's this week's message. Well, last week we had Adam Spurlock with us, who is the pastor of Restoration Community Church here in Hanahan. This week we have Craig Tuck. Uh, he's not coming to preach quite yet, but we do want to interview him and just learn a little bit more about him. Craig is uh, the director of mission for the Charleston Baptist Association. Uh, he's been in that position, what, about eight months? Six months. Six months. So, what, Craig, why don't you go ahead and come up, get to know you a little bit. Now, I've had lunch with Craig several times. Um, and so we've had the opportunity to talk, and, um, but a lot of people here may not know you. They may not know who you are, what you do. So you are the Director of Mission for the Charleston Baptist Association. What does that mean? Yes, good question. What does a Director of Mission do? In fact, I'm trying to figure that out. <laughs> no, actually, the uh, good thing is that the Director of Mission's role has been one that's been established for a long time. In fact, our association started in 1751. That was a long time ago. In fact, it is the first Southern Baptist Association in America. It started here in Charleston by a pastor by the name of Oliver Hart. And the vision that he had was to really help churches connect together and cooperate for the sake of mission. And so he created the role. He created my job description way back then, which is really to help churches begin to find a way to connect and to serve for the sake of mission. And so at that time, there were only four churches in the Southeast. That, uh, that were Baptist, and he got them together, and those four ch churches said, let's form an association that would help us do that. So my role is to really help as a catalyst in one way and as a connector another to connect churches together and connect mission together for the sake of carrying out the Great Commission. So how do you do that? Yeah, so it's really through one relationship at a time in some ways, and it's really by the fact that we have 78 churches in our association. So one of my tasks is, is to try to connect with each of our churches to find out where they are in the process of their place on the map, if you will, for mission in the sake of reaching people. And so it's through meeting with pastors. It's also helping to mobilize church planners like Pastor Aaron, who is planning a church here in Mount Pleasant, uh, to begin to help them get mobilized and uh, help them connect with each other for the sake of mission. It's the idea that no one church has been called to reach the city by themselves. Uh, neither has God that been God's design. There were 12 apostles, right? Um, there are four gospels that tell us four different pictures of who Jesus is. In the same way, I believe that we need partnership in cooperation, which really is the DNA of our Southern Baptist Convention, is that we're cooperative. That's why we give to the cooperative program, for the sake of that we can be autonomous, but yet work together. And so connecting all those pieces. So as you, I know you've been getting around and visiting a lot of churches in the CBA. Yeah. What do you see taking place across the landscape of the Charleston Baptist Association? Well, I want to say first and foremost, thank you for your support, uh, your long support of our association. Um, historically, I'm grateful for Highland Park Baptist Church and the fact that you all are planted here. What I see over across the landscape of our churches that are represented in the tri-county area of Charleston is there's three things that are needed, and in fact, these are the three really vision points of our association. And that is that we need to have churches that are strengthened. We have many churches in our association that are struggling. Uh, they're struggling for a number of reasons. One is that the community around the church has changed, and the church has not been able to contextualize or find a way by which to begin to reach more people and continue to make the church vit vit have vitality in the area. 
So helping you strength churches is one key area. The other one is to strengthen leaders. Being a pastor is no small job, and it's a challenging job. And so I know that you love your pastors and you pray for them. Well, we have 78 in our association that desperately need encouragement. And there are times when I think leaders need an infusion of encouragement or being equipped or educated or whatever those things are. So our association wants to work toward helping those leaders be strengthened. And then the third area is planting churches. Uh, we last year planted seven new churches in our association. And tonight at our annual meeting, we'll present five more new churches. You look at the population growth of Charleston, just getting the traffic, right? You know it's growing and changing. Well, the dynamic that we need for more churches is there. And so those three areas, planting churches, strengthening leaders, strengthening churches, to me is what is needed in our association. And I believe that's what the vision that God's calling us to fulfill. So you kind of touched on this when you mentioned church planting. Yeah. So 78 churches in the area. Why plant more? Yeah, that's a great question. So in the Tri-County area, the population is about 760,000 people. I wish what we could do is mandate one Sunday somehow uh, for every citizen in the Tri-County area, all 760,000 of us, for one Sunday to go to church and sit in a pew or sit in a chair. Now, that would be a problem because we can't seat everybody in our association for sure. Let's add on to that number other churches that are evangelical that preach the gospel. Let's ask them to join us on that one Sunday. We would have to have, Jeremy, I don't know how many services at every church, just to accommodate, if that was the only goal, is to get them in the front of the gospel preaching and around God's people, in pews or in chairs, we couldn't accommodate everybody. And so just for that matter alone, if that was the goal, which is not really necessarily the goal only to have to go to church, but really we want to make people disciples who know Jesus, who love him, and who follow him and who make other disciples. And so we have a great task. By the year 2028, there'll be one million people, one million people living in the tri-county area of greater Charleston. Now you can look at that and go, man, that means traffic's gonna get even worse. <laughs> and you're right. But the great thing is that what God's doing is he's allowing and bringing through industry people who have no faith background whatsoever. So the front door of the church may not be the front door they're gonna walk through, but it might be your home. It could be at the workplace. And so I believe we need more churches because more churches mobilize and move people in the mission in ways that established churches who have been there in a presence in a long time sometimes can't have that initial effect. And so it, I think church planning really mobilizes mission, especially when you're new in the area. Hey, you can say, you're new, we're new, let's do something new together. Yeah. And God does a great work. Yeah, I think that's, that's an, uh, a need in this area. Yeah. The other thing that we've been talking about, and you and I have talked about this, is reaching other cultures in our area. Yeah. So... Just looking around, there are many Hispanic, um, that, that, that population is growing right. as well as other cultures. How can churches reach other cultures, even in our tri-county area? Yeah, so there, there are, and there's a, a heavy Brazilian population here growing. It's the other interesting population growth that's growing is the Asian population. There's a Chinese church, about 100 people that meet down at Citadel Square Baptist Church. They share space with them, and that, that people group is growing as well. Again, I think as Charleston continues to stay at the top of the list of tourism and all those places, that people are drawn in, and people from all different ethnicities that are being drawn in. We may never be in Atlanta, Miami, Los Angeles. Uh, none of us really want to vote for that, right? But the reality is we're becoming more cosmopolitan. And so I think the way that we cross-cultural, you gave the idea of Samaria. 
I think it's beginning to understand how do we create space in our own personal lives to meet with someone or connect with someone who's not like us. You know the best place to do that, we have found, my wife and I, is to open your dinner table. There's a lot of things I don't understand about other cultures, but one thing I can do is I got two ears and one mouth, so I can listen and hear and learn by inviting someone in who's not like me and beginning to learn how to understand the culture. And then more importantly, as Jesus said, the great commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself. I think it gets as very basic and bare bone as just living out the great commandment every day and being willing to be uncomfortable to cross over a cultural line and to open your hands and say, Lord, I'm gonna trust your spirit to guide this conversation because I don't know how to guide it. And you know, I'm amazed he always does. So I think that's key is personally taking responsibility and then as churches, just like you're doing, you're saying we want to be mindful and reach across cross-cultural uh, cross lines. I think it's very important, especially in our day that we live in, uh, that we need to have cross-cultural ministry. So in your busyness of everything that you're doing, how can we pray for you? How can we best pray for the CBA? Thank you for praying for me. Um, one is always, you always pray as a leader for wisdom, you know, that the Lord would lead you and guide you as you help to lead one thing that's, that's unique to where we are right now as an association, again, being the oldest one in America, is that culturally, we, we're trying to begin to move in this new direction of how do we think for every man, woman, and child so that they can have repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the gospel. And what that means is that we have to take our calling seriously. And so what I want more than anything is just to have wisdom to know how do I hear and come alongside of our churches, of our association, to see us be mobilized in mission. So having wisdom to do that, but really it's about the Spirit of God working and opening doors so that we really can be cooperative, not just in our giving, but also in the way we live. And so pray that the Lord would give me wisdom to know how to do that. Because what it means is that we've gotta love each other well, we've gotta be willing to allow for change to take place, we gotta be willing to adopt new culture and begin to not change the message, but you always keep, you never change the message, but you can change the method and how you're reaching people. And so I think if we keep our hands open together, that God would just do that, that God would give wisdom on how we can do that. It's like that old saying, the farmer said, you know, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. Well, the old farmer also said, but you can put salt in his oats and make him thirsty. So <laughs> my question is, how do we all put salt in our own oats to make us thirsty for the gospel to go forward from our churches and see the kingdom of God manifest in this great area. Well, we so. really appreciate you being with us. Look forward to you preaching Thank to us here in a few moments. Let's do this. Let's go ahead and bow together and pray for Craig and the CBA right now. Our Heavenly Father, we again thank you for the opportunity to gather together and talk about the mission that you have given us. Um, God, I pray you'd be with Craig and the task that he has been given um, to, to lead our association, to lead um, in in equipping our churches and uh, leading in providing tools to strengthen our churches, to raise up leaders. And God, I pray that you would give him the wisdom that he needs to do that. And God, I know his heart is to see people saved. I know his heart is to see healthy churches making an impact in their communities. I know his heart is to see other cultures reached with the gospel. And so, God, I pray for the churches in the CBA that we would unite behind that vision, <clears throat> that we would unite behind the mission that you have given us, and that as a result of that, 
um, your spirit would move in a, in a powerful way, and that we would see our communities transformed, we would see lives changed, we'd see our churches become more healthy, and God, all, that all of that would be done for your honor and for your glory, and so that you are worshiped um, by more and more people on a weekly basis. God, we love you this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Craig, we are excited that you are here with us this morning. Um, let's give your attention to him as he challenges us from God's Word, and then we'll, um, we'll talk a little bit more at the end of the service about how we're going to do what we're going to hear about. Thank you, Craig. Thank you. Well, again, I want to thank you, Highland Park Baptist Church, for the opportunity to be in front of you today, to meet you, and to be a part of this worship time. And Pastor Jeremy, thank you, and it's been a blessing to get to know your pastor. I thank God that the Lord brought Pastor Jeremy Wallace to our city. And I know you're grateful as well. I'm deeply grateful for that. In fact, we have a fun fact between us. Um, we, uh, we share a, a gentleman that uh, I was my roommate in Bible college um, that mentored me, was also a mentor to Pastor Jeremy when he was in Ohio. And so we just discovered that at lunch the other day, and it was really a, a really neat little thing that we share together. And so I'm grateful for the way that God invests in our lives through people. And Pastor Jason, as well, I've, got, I've known over the few years, and I'm so grateful for his leadership here. And so thank you. Um, I want to you today to focus our, our minds and our hearts around this idea about mission um, and this idea about on mission with the gospel. Um, I remember there was a football coach. I don't know which football coach it was. It, it, it was a coach that basically started with the very basics, and uh, he went into the locker room with uh, the players, and he took a football in his hands, and he held it up, and he said, gentlemen, this is a football. <laughs> now, you would think they would know that's, yeah, we get it, coach. We know that's a football. Now, tell us what we're going to do with that football. And he didn't want to presume or assume that they didn't grasp the obvious thing that that football was the goal by which they were going to succeed, taking it from one part of the field to the other part to win the game. Now, that's a very oversimplified way of saying simply this. We know the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, as a church, that proverbial saying that I'm speaking to the choir <laughs> is that we know the gospel is the good news of Jesus. But I want to encourage you today, as we look at Scripture, about how the gospel can be renewed in your heart, because I believe if we are going to be on mission with God locally, regionally, internationally, it's going to be how we think and carry the gospel. And so I pray today that you will be encouraged all over again. It's like Paul said, rejoice, and again I say, rejoice. The word re means have it all over again. So if you will turn with me to the passage in Scripture of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll be looking at verses 14 and 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 21. And as we turn there, I want to encourage you uh, as a church, and again, I give thanks for the emphasis that you're placing on the idea of mission. I believe it is one of the things that we have to be intentional about whether it be, as Pastor Jeremy asked the question, how many of you have been overseas somewhere? And a few of you raised your hands, me included. Many of you did not. That doesn't mean that you're not involved. Prayer is a huge part of how we mobilize mission. Giving, being involved with resourcing, 
Um, there's so many ways. And so my prayer today is that we would leave here with this idea that as members of this church, as members of our association, that we will think through the lenses of being a missionary with the football, the gospel. So if you will look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, sorry, chapter 5, don't turn to chapter 4, verse 14, I want to begin with this first thought in your bulletin. Chapter 5, verse 14, for Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he, Jesus, died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now look down at verse 21 with me, if you would. Paul writes this through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. The first thing that we see in this perspective is that Jesus gave us his identity. This is the power of the gospel. Jesus gave us his identity. This is the power of the gospel. Do you notice in that last verse something profound took place on the cross? It says he, Jesus, perfect son of God, took on our sin. It says that he, who had no sin, became sin for us. Now, that doesn't mean that Jesus was a sinner, does it? What it means is that Jesus became the sin bearer for all the world. That he took upon our identity in order to do something very profound. That is the gospel for us to give us something we did not have on our own, nor could we get on our own. For it is by grace that you're saved through faith and not that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. God the Father treated his son Jesus on the cross as if he were a sinner. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? in order that he may give us something that we did not deserve, which was his perfect righteousness. Meaning that the very thing that God demands from us, a perfect righteousness to be acceptable to God, is the very thing that God provides for us in the gospel, in what Jesus did on the cross for us. That's what John Piper says, and I agree with him. That God made this incredible transfer. Jesus did not empty himself of his divinity, did he? We're not going to tackle that this morning. He is, he is God and man. But he alone could take something from us that we could not take on ourselves, which is the fact that we were in a very bad way. In fact, the Bible, before you hear the good news of the gospel, the Bible talks about the real bad news that we were born in our sins separated from God. It even says that we were alienated from God and without God in, and in the world without hope and without God. That we were dead in our trespasses and sin, the book of Ephesians says in chapter 2. So that really paints the picture of how amazing the gospel is. 
how powerful the gospel is, that it needed to come and bring us to life in order for us to be before God and be accepted by him. The power of the cross and the power of that encounter where God gave you and I something we did not deserve, but gave us a new identity in that. About four summers ago, I had the distinct privilege to walk my oldest daughter down the aisle. Now, it took me a lot to get there, let me tell you, because I love all three of my daughters and my son, but my girls, I'm just a little more protective, obviously. My son is like, dude, find the wife and get married, you know? And he did just a couple years ago. However, my firstborn child, it took me a while to kind of loosen the grip. Right, dads? You get what I'm saying? All right. Well, I did it. I said, Lord, I know I have to give her away. So we walked her down the aisle, and I really do love my son-in-law. He's a great guy. But that day when I gave her away, her identity changed in that moment. She made a covenant with a, with a man, and she took on his name, and now she is a wife, and he is a husband. Well, just four and a half months ago, that same daughter gave birth to our first grandbaby, and little Ellie was born. She's the prettiest baby in the world, obviously. <laughs> they live down in Savannah, so that road between here and Savannah is getting a lot shorter these days. But again, her identity changed. She became not just a wife, but a mother. And he became not just a husband, but a father. And I became a grandfather and a father-in-law and all those things. That's what life's about, isn't it? Our identity is constantly being reshaped by life. You're retiring. Well, you're going into retirement. That's a, that's a different, it's a shift in your life. Um, perhaps your spouse passed away. That's a shift in your life. And your identity begins to change. The greatest identity that we had that needed to be changed, all those are, are transitions in life, we get that, was that we needed to go from death to life. We needed to go from being hopeless to being hopeful. And the gospel is the power of God that does it. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because in it, it is the power of God unto salvation. It is the power of God unto salvation because in it, there is a righteousness revealed for me that I know I can't get on my own. That's why it's so important to understand this first point really well. It's pertinent to everything you do in life, to remember where you came from. This is amazing about the word remember in the Bible, that God uses it in the Old Testament and New Testament. And he wants us to remember something that happened that he did, whether it was a stacking of stones in the Old Testament, or whether it was taking the bread that Jesus took in the New Testament and said, do this in remembrance of me. Why? Because we forget. We forget. The perspective of the power of the gospel that changed us, as Pastor Jeremy asked, raise your hand. Do you remember when you trusted in Christ? When the gospel first became goodness to you, do you remember that moment? Well, I happen to believe that in Paul's writings, he is saying, I want you to remember that moment every day. Because the gospel is still the power of God every day. It's informing and it should inform every decision we make in life. It should shape it. It should shape the way that I love my wife, Rebecca, who's here right here with me this morning of 30 years. How do I love her for 30 more years in a way that would display the person of Jesus? I need the gospel and the power of it to rip off my self-willed ways and find a way to love her well. 
Take every relationship and every circumstance and every decision that you've got to make and I've got to make, the gospel is still the power of God that informs every decision. Because God has given me and you and I a new identity. A few years ago, uh, the First Baptist Church of Allendah called and asked for help. There were six people remaining in that congregation, in that rural town. And they had shared the story with me and said, listen, um, we, we know that you've helped churches get planted and you've worked with church planters, but we're not sure what to do, but we're going to close the church. There's no other option. So we sat down with them and said, well, let's pray. Let's pray, because we need the power of God to be at work here. We believe it's still powerful. He can do that. He loves his church. So we prayed. I contacted First Baptist Mount Pleasant and Life Park Church, and they both joined me, and we came together, and we began praying. And what happened was amazing. Those six people said, we don't want the church to die on us, but we can't do it anymore. They had pastors who had been there. There were moral failures in their story. The church was seen as a church that was not reaching out cross-culturally. It was seen as a church that was just simply, look, don't bother us, we won't bother you. It was just real close ethnically to one people group, Anglos like us. So there was a lot of things that needed to change in that story. The gospel needed to be made new. Well, fast forward to what happened. Uh, those six people stayed in that church. The two churches that came alongside sent people and a pastor that we connected with. And now, three years later, the church of Seawee Bay, a new name, a new identity, just like my daughter getting a new name, a new name, a new identity, they have baptized more people in three years than they have in their whole history. Their whole history. They are reaching out cross-culturally to people that they've not reached out to before. For July 4th, they had 3,000 people on their property. They, the city just threw the party on their property. They said, come on. Are they making an impact now? Is the light shining through that community, through that church? It is. Why? Because the power of God was needed to bring life. You see, God specializes in something, doesn't he? He specializes in bringing the dead back to life. The resurrection of Jesus is a picture of the power of God to raise his son back to life to give us hope. That same resurrection power is in you and me because our identity has changed. And if we forget that perspective, then all we're doing is recognizing that God did something for me way back when, but I'm not living in that reality today. And God calls us to live out of that reality. So the second thing we see in this text is this powerful thing. And this is in verse 16. Look at there with me, verse 16 to verse 18. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Now, in light of all these things and what God has done, we regard no one now from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I could almost do this right here, and y'all just tell me the rest of the verse. Of course, you can read it too. <laughs> if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Verse 18, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Our new identity changes everything. Our new identity changes everything. This is the purpose of the gospel. Our new identity changes everything. This is the purpose of the gospel. You'll see that it says that we no longer look at ourselves in the same way. We no longer look at Christ in the same way. He was no longer simply a good teacher that we heard 
But now he is the very one who is the personal savior to you and I. He wasn't just a teacher of the truth or of the way or of the life, right? What did he say? He said, I, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So when you look at Christ that way, you also look at others that way. It's almost like getting new glasses. You begin to see everything differently. The old is gone, the new has come, right? That's what it says. There's a metamorphosis, a transformation. In other words, I see people around me that I no longer would see in my own selfish, fleshly way. Hey, look, you got your life, I got mine, I'm living mine, I know God, that's all I care about. That's a wrong attitude, isn't it? That's not our attitude. What our attitude is rather is, I see you in the way that I once saw myself, lost and without hope. And so because I see you that way, I want to introduce you to someone maybe that you've never met before. Maybe you know only by the fact that you know what the gospel is, but it's not good news to you yet. Well, I'm going to stay in your life and keep telling you until it becomes good news to you because it became good news to me. See, that's the purpose of the gospel. It's living with purpose. Living with purpose is important. Everything has changed. In fact, I believe if we look at it this way, that everyone has a story. We all have a story. If you look at the Bible, the Bible is really one story. If you start in Genesis and then you go all the way down to Revelation, what you'll find is that the Bible begins in a garden, right? But then it ends in a city. Okay, so those two geographical places connect. They, they connect together. And in between the two bookends is an incredible story that God has done. He created all things that was and is, or ever shall be. And then at some point in time in that story, something happened. There was a fall, a breach of a relationship with God. God and the world and people and every it changed everything. So what did God do? He put on the stage of the world prophets and he began to tell the story about how salvation comes and brings life. And in the Gospels, we read what happened. Jesus came. So there was a redeemer that came into this great story that everything went wrong. And then at the very end, God is ordaining things to be as they should be. That one day, things will be as they should be. The lion will lay down with the lamb. Now, let's take that story and put it into your story for a moment. You were born somewhere, weren't you? Everyone say yes. Thank you. All right. Making sure we agree. Because if we don't, we've got a physiological problem together, don't we? We all were born in a place. I was born in Miami, Florida, the, the geographic south. They don't have sweet tea down there. But it's the geographic south, right? I had to meet Rebecca in Atlanta to drink sweet tea for the first time. So I was a northerner kind of, but in the south. I don't know. It's, I'm confused. But... Miami, Atlanta, Charleston is kind of my triangle of life. That's where I've lived. But I was born in Miami. I was born into a family that brought me to church. As I was going to church, I began to learn about Jesus. But then I began to see that the world wasn't as it should be. There was brokenness in the world. In fact, there was brokenness in me that I began to realize. So the way that I fixed the fall, the brokenness in my own life, was if I was just sincere enough to come down the aisle and pray the earnest prayer that I could possibly pray, Jesus, please, I, I want to go to heaven and not to hell. Please receive me. That's how I 
try to fix that problem. Now, that's the right way, isn't it? Because Jesus offers hope. And you come to him and you call upon him. But I was coming to him on my terms. I was doing it intellectually. I was saying, I know you're the Savior. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven. So I'm going to come on my terms, and would you take this? <laughs> well, then, throughout my years, I still struggled. My family had issues. There was brokenness in my home. There was brokenness around me, all those things. I was trying to, if I could just be better for God, then maybe the brokenness would go away. What I was doing was creating my own functional Savior to fix things. And we're bent that way. Divorcing your family. Is it my fault? Then you begin to try to fix things because it's all you know to do. Death, disease, whatever else. We try to fix it our way. But I realized that there's only one that could redeem all things, and it was Jesus. And that's when I really began to understand who he was and who I was. That I was the older brother that stayed at home and saluted, did everything, crossed the T's, dotted the I's. I was in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. But I didn't have a personal relationship with God. It didn't change me until I received Christ on his terms when I saw myself, realizing that I can't be the Savior, only God can. And therefore, the same thing's true in every person's life. We meet people where they are. If someone says to you, hey, my name is so-and-so, and you ask them where they're from, they're telling you something about where they were created. If you hang around them long enough, for whatever reason, neighbor, coworker, the airplane's a lot shorter ride to get to know the whole story of somebody. But if you have the opportunity, they will tell you not only where they're from, but they'll tell you what's wrong with the world. And they might even tell you what they're trying to do to fix it. Now, what if we inserted a better story into that story and we said, you know, there is a lot of things wrong with this world, but there is someone who's a better savior, who can redeem all things, who can get you to a place personally. You may not change all your circumstances, but the purpose of the gospel can be at work in you like it's been work because the gospel has changed everything in my life. See, I'm no longer the same. I'm now called to be a missionary to take this message of change that's happened to me and just share with you and insert it into your story. A few years ago, my wife and I got a letter from our homeowners association. You ever got a letter? Yes, oh, oh, I heard that. I got an oh, oh letter. I thought, oh man, we're in trouble. I put the garbage can on the wrong side of the mailbox or vice versa, I don't know. Parked the car in the street too long, I'm not sure. Well, it wasn't one of those letters. It actually was a letter that everybody got in my neighborhood. And it was a letter that said, hey, it's time to paint your mailbox post. I thought, okay. Whew. Well, I've got bigger fish to fry, you know, than worry about that. But out of compliance and goodwill, we're going to set an example. Now, at the same time that we got the letter, the Holy Spirit was working on Rebecca and I. We've been in the neighborhood. We've been in Charleston 14 years. Been in that neighborhood about that time 10 years. I could name everybody on our cul-de-sac. But after that, it was fuzzy. I saw them before, but didn't know who they were. So God convicted me as a pastor. I drive in and out of the neighborhood. I drive to the church, my office. I drive to Starbucks or wherever I want to go meet somebody. Drive to their church, drive back home. And God convicted us of this reality, and this is the, what he convicted us of. He said, I chose your neighbors for you. You didn't choose them. Wow, that really woke me up because I realized that God put people that I cross by every day and I don't know their names. I should at least know their names. 
so I can pray for him. So we took, <laughs> we took a gallon of paint that Saturday, and we went out on a Saturday morning and thought, all right, we're gonna paint every mailbox post on our street, about 14 homes. We can do this. Now, we didn't do the hit and run thing where you paint and leave, you know? Uh, that would be kind of, I don't know if that would be called vandalism or not. I'm not sure. Good vandalism, right? So we went to every door and said, we just painted our mailbox post and painted our neighbors. Could we paint your mailbox post for you? And they would say, oh, yeah, I don't have time to get to that, but we know we got to do it. Amazed. At every turn, every house, we said, listen, we gotta, we're doing a walk of shame today. <laughs> we don't know your name. We've been here 10 years but every person we talked to, it was just amazing how receptive they were. Well, first of all, we're doing a kind deed to help, but more importantly, they really wanted connection. We wanted connection. We just didn't connect. Well, we had this idea as we began praying. After we painted everybody's mailbox post, we got their names. We know how to pray for them because we heard their names. And we decided, let's have them in our home for a dessert fellowship. It's Christmas time. So we thought, out of the 14 homes... We're going to have the cul-de-sac crew there because we know them. They're going to be there. So we went door to door. Remember, Craig, Rebecca, we painted your mailbox post? Ten, ten years, walk of shame? Yeah. Here's an invitation. So we invited them to come in. We were blown away. Thirteen families out of 14 were in our house on a Sunday night. Thirteen out of 14. The last one wasn't because they didn't like the way we painted their mailbox post, but it was because they were out of town. Now, what we were amazed by is this. People wanted community. We're designed, wired, built for community. We just don't know how to do it or how to get it. But you know what's amazing about the church? The church is a community. We do community. That's what we do as a church, right? We come together. We bring food. We eat. We pray. We share burdens. We share blessings. So we began thinking, wait a minute now. What if we were missionaries in our own street? And so from that time on now, we get together, <laughs> we get together at Christmas, at Halloween, because everybody's out. We get together um, around Easter. We have a brunch uh, on the cul-de-sac. And we do all that because we know that people need Jesus, and we need Jesus to be known through us. This is the purpose of the gospel. Now, I'm not saying that story to you to say, hey, look at us. I'm saying, please pray for us. Because we've seen transformation happen in lives of people. At the same time, we're not seeing it in others. We're, we're praying, God, bring life. But their front door of the church may not be our front door here or my church. It may be my front door of my home. So we've had neighbors in our home for dinner beyond that. We've gone to dinner with some of them. We know their names. And what I'm saying is, what if we couldn't do that one thing I said earlier mandate every church to open up their door and get all the population in. We couldn't accommodate that kind of size. But you know what? If every house in this congregation today opened its doors for maybe two or three families to come in, we would be ex exponentially a lot better than where we could be trying to get them into the church house as the first point of interest or entrance. So my challenge to you and to me is this. If the gospel changes everything in us, doesn't it give us a purpose? And Paul says it does. You've been made new so that you can share the good news with others can be made new as well. That brings us to the last point. And here it is. Verse 18, the last part of that verse. It says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Now, this is, this is very specific and clear, isn't it? He gave us 
the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God, listen to this now, as though God were making his appeal through us. Wow. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. What stands out to you in that passage? There's a lot, isn't there? In verse 18, ministry of reconciliation. Verse 19, message of reconciliation. Verse 20, ambassadors. You see, we are in the family business. This is the mission of the gospel. We're in the family business. This is the mission of the gospel. Now, you might think because I'm from Miami that I'm leading a mafia or something, you know, and talking about the family, you know, to just stay in the family, you know, forget about it. Um, whatever those things are that go with mafia that I know nothing about because I never was in the mafia. I just chose to use it because I want us to understand that the church is a family and we're called together in identity with Jesus. We belong to Jesus. He belongs to us. And now because of that family dynamic, there's a business that God's created, if you will. That is to be ambassadors, to carry a message and do a ministry. Years ago, I've, I've always been intrigued by the great pioneer missionaries, William Carey, Adoniram Judson, you name them, you know them, Lottie Moon, Incredible. But missions didn't begin with those pioneers, did it? You see, the first missionary, if we really get to the bottom line, is that God himself was the first missionary. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God sent his son, first missionary. Why? to reach those that were not reconciled to God. And that same calling is now ours. Jesus, Paul saying this to us, to the church, to believers, that this is now our task. As if God was making his appeal through you and through me, that's God's plan. There's no plan B or plan C or plan D. There's only a plan A, and that is ambassador. How about that? That fits, doesn't it? I didn't even think about that. But a plan A, ambassadors. That, I'm going to write that. I might tweet that out later. That's, that's good. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, God is making his appeal through us. Rebecca will say, stop the corn. Don't be corny. You know, God's making his appeal through us in this sense, that we have a calling. We have a mission that we are about. Again, pray, give, go, send. Whatever those things are, we have a part of that. Sometimes it's easy as a church, because I've been on this side, I've been in this side of the church as a congregational member, I am a member now, of course too, but on this side in the sense of ministry that many times you can think about those that are the doers are the ones that really are doing mission. And I can tell you again and again, it is not just that, it is both ways. At the same time, you can't sit and look this way and not be engaged. It's important, it's reciprocal, it goes both ways. You see, we're discovering the reality that, that, that people around us desperately need the gospel. Did you know out of the 90, 90% of our churches in the Charleston Baptist Association, 90% 
within a five-mile radius, um, there are at least 50 to 75 people per square mile in 90% of our churches, meaning that that population concentration and growth is expanding. Now, here's the challenge. Church attendance, percentage-wise, in the Charleston County, all the Tri-County area, right now hover around 10 to 12% of the population. That's why on Sunday, the roads are pretty clear, aren't they? And I grieves you and it grieves me. But think about it for a minute. 10 to 12% in the counties of our Tri-County area of the population are going to church. Now, missiologists would say this. When you get to a single digit in your culture, that is when missionaries start coming into your city. We are not far from shifting and moving to a single digit percentage per county of people who attend church. Now, attending church isn't the true mark of all spirituality, is it? It is definitely a demonstration of it. But think about that from a standpoint of our need. You look at the population and the expansion I've shared, but you look at the incredible decline that we've also experienced. And this is true across the nation, not just here in Charleston, the holy city, but everywhere. So we've got a great task. I believe when churches are planted, like Pastor Jerry and Pastor Clark, when they come together, what happens is Pastor Jerry has a place to serve and reach out of. But Pastor Clark, as you hear his words, they're being renewed with this idea that we're reaching out around us and we're making an impact. And you can hear it in his voice. They want more of that. I hear that in your voice. I hear it in the voice of your church. I just see it this morning by sitting here and listening to all you're doing. It is in you. It is in us. So the important thing is that we have the perspective that whether it's personal for you and me that we call ourselves missionaries because God does and we begin living and acting like that where we live, learn, work, or play, no matter how God shows you, whatever your next step is like he showed Rebecca and I, pray that the Spirit of God would just tell you, Holy Spirit, what's next for me to do? Tell me something that I've not done before or show me something that I can do right now that I have not done before. And you'll be amazed how simple it is. Simple steps, not complicated. So important. The challenge I have, as you have in the bulletin there, is questions for you to think about and consider as we consider. Who are the people that are close to you but are far from God? What functional saviors are they putting their trust in to redeem and restore the brokenness in their personal story? Just listen to it. Don't even begin to figure out, okay, how am I gonna memorize this scripture and say it right now? Just listen to it and then pray. Say, I'm gonna pray for you. Can we meet again? And then when you meet again, ask the Holy Spirit to share with you something that you can share with them of hope from your own life, from the scripture itself. So in closing, I just want to encourage you and challenge you. Um, however God is speaking, get started by listening. Get started by simply taking another step. But know this, know this for sure. Here's a word of hope for you and I. Amidst all the challenges that we have, we are part of a bigger story together. Highland Park is not alone. Uh, the churches in our association are not alone. We're in this together. And because we're in it together, we see a greater reality of what God's doing. Just a few years ago, Citadel Square Baptist Church was in its great struggle. Uh, Pastor David's been there for 12 years, and 
just recently, 45 people remained in that downtown church of 800-seat auditorium. And they have had incredible gospel history in the city. Many of you may have been married there. You may have been a member there. You may have been led to Christ there. We have many churches planted. I think even this church, I'm not sure, but I think it was planted from Citadel Square. I might be wrong. So, Okay, Charleston Heights. Didn't mean to claim it. Didn't mean to put you in the wrong category. But there are about five or six churches in our region that were planted in this city. Just recently, one of our church plants began sharing space with them. And as a result of that, they began doing mission together and praying together. And you know, God began to merge that church together, those two churches, that today, just a few Sundays ago in August, they joined together to become one church. Now there are 350 people. There are college students from the Citadel, from the College of Charleston that are coming into that space. And that life, that church, that same name, Citadel Square Baptist Church, is now has a new future and a new name. Or not a new name, but a new future and a new life, new leadership. And it's amazing what God has done in that. So I'm just saying to you this, that God's at work. He is bringing his kingdom in many places. I'm sure I went too long, but I had to say those things in my heart. I got more to say, but I'm going to cut it off here. And I appreciate so much you letting me come and bring the word. Will you pray with me this morning? Father, thank you that we're a people that are not short of the things that we can say about how great you are. And Lord, also to celebrate the goodness of your gospel. I pray today that as we hear your word, as we lay hold of the idea of mission, how do we live on mission with you and with others? How do we, Lord, keep our hands open and our hearts open for what you wanna do in and through us? Lord, would you speak to us today? Would you lead us? Thank you for Highland Park Baptist Church and their example. Thank you, Lord, for their faithfulness. We pray now, Lord, that even greater days and greater kingdom impact would come as a result of us gathering together, strengthening one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have any questions or want to know more about having a closer relationship with Jesus Christ, please contact us online at hpbc.church. Please join us again next week as together we seek to know Christ and make Him known.